reading the Bible just might help people to not be racist. If you heard that, you might think it's crazy. Maybe it is. But stay with me for a moment. This is the Dangerous Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Williams. Good news, friends. We are on social media. It's time to get the word out and let people know. So I'm going to tell you where you can find us. On Instagram, we are on uh, NW Dangerous Faith. On Twitter, it's uh, at Faith Dangerous. I don't know what happened there. I know I did not type that, but if you type in Dangerous Faith, it'll show up. Uh, but technically, the handle is at Faith Dangerous. Something happened there. That's okay. And then finally, we're also on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page, and I'm excited to get that going. So if you could follow, subscribe, all that social media talk that I'm really not good with, uh, that would be great. I would really appreciate it because I'm trying to get the word out, and I'm, I'm really excited. So, yeah, social media is up and going. Last year, there were a lot of riots, a lot of cities burned, and the whole nation was having a race moment over the George Floyd uh, situation. And I'm not going to go into that. I'm really not sure how much I want to talk politics on this podcast. I'm very interested in politics, but I'm not really sure how much I should dive in there. Should it be a separate type of episode? Should I incorporate it into these, uh, these talks? I don't know. But one thing I am sure sure of is I'm all about the truth and living out the Christian faith. And so sometimes faith and politics, they, they intermingle more than we might like for them to. But anyway, so uh, back to the topic. I don't think America is a racist country. But I do believe there, there are racists in the country and I do believe normal people can do or say the occasional racist thing. Now, there's nuance there. It's so easy to say, oh, all of America is racist. Or, no, none of America is racist. I think the truth is a little bit more complex than that. Now, I don't think most people are racist. Even if you say or do a racist thing every once in a while, once in a blue moon. How can I say this? Doesn't that make people racist? No, it doesn't. And let me tell you why by comparing racism to other flaws. Uh, for example, let's say someone has an anger problem. And it's you, you say that because it's become a habitual, ingrained thing. The person always, often gets angry, and therefore, you call them an angry person. However, some people don't have an anger problem. But being human, they'll, they'll st- sometimes still occasionally get angry. And when they're angry, they do or say things that they shouldn't. They don't do it often, but once in a blue moon, they, they, they get angry and they say things that they really shouldn't. However, due to the fact that it's not habitual, it's not all the time, it's not 24-7, the fact that a generally non-angry person loses their temper from time to time 
does not mean they have an anger problem or that they are an angry person. That's how it is with racism. Most people, in my opinion, are not habitual, ingrained racists. However, since we are flawed human beings, we have our occasional racist moments. This does not make us pure 24-7 racists who discriminate against people of other ethnicities. It means that being human, we still fail from time to time and always need to be careful. Another example is a, a drunk is someone who is a habitual overdrinker. However, if every once in a while I drink too much and I get tipsy, I should really be more careful. But I don't do it often enough to be labeled a drunk. I hope you're really tracking with me. Uh, there are racist people in America, I'm not going to lie or pretend there's not. However, most people in America are not racists, in my opinion. Normal people will do the occasional racist thing, and that should be roundly condemned, like every time. But that can be done without canceling or wrecking the future of that person. They messed up, and we are all flawed. That's the first thing I want to get off my chest. Uh, and so what, what I'm doing right now is I'm laying the foundation before I jump into uh, the Bible and racism specifically. Uh, so that's the first thing. And now I want to talk about the second thing. Anyone and any group at any time can be racist. And I think that makes reasonable sense. Anyone can be racist. But there is a common train of thought held by many that hold that only some people can be racist, like those in power traditionally, while those who are oppressed, those in the minority, well, they can only be prejudiced. White people, for the longest time, were the only ones with power in this country, and I'll agree with that. And so some people will say, well, they're the only ones that can be racist today. Minorities, they have historically not been in power in this country. So when minorities do discriminatory things, uh, it's only called prejudice. That's not racism. I strongly condemn this way of thinking and that definition uh, of racism because I think it's a doctored definition of racism. Uh, racism has two components to it. There's the outward component the, where you act, and then there's the inward component of the way that we think and the way that we feel. Outward racism is simply discriminating against someone on the basis of race, ethnicity, or culture. So you actually do or say something discriminatory. I can't say that word right now for some reason. Anyways, Inward racism is holding in your thoughts and your heart that, that a certain race is superior to another one on the basis of skin color, ethnicity, or culture. Even in like a very left-leaning article by the writer John McWhorter uh, on The Atlantic, the, the, the t uh, piece is titled uh, Racist is a Tough Little Word, writes that the dictionary style of racism in the 1970s is prejudice, discrimination, 
or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So even in the dictionary style of racism, yeah, it doesn't have to do with a power structures or anything. It's just someone that discriminates against someone else on the basis of race. Now, he says in the article that the word has grown past that meaning, but I think its current usage by the left goes way out of bounds, by those on the far left, I should clarify. For instance, if you look up the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition today, under the second definition, you know how words will have multiple meanings, uh, they define race as being characterized by the systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another. That is a completely different take on the word racism. And what that is used today is it's used as a weapon where it's like white people can be racist and no one else in this country can be racist. And it leads to the thought of, you know, white guilt and uh, white people are racist and this characterization that only white people are racist. And I, I, I just think that's very ignorant. So I don't use this definition of racism. I think it's faulty. Uh, and I think it's been weaponized. It's used as uh, the uh, primary definition for many. It's completely political and it twists the original meaning of the word. It, under this conclusion, black people can't be racist, or Hispanics can't be racist, and that's simply not true. No, racism is a universal flaw from the beginning of time. It is a sin born out of fear and the desire for control, and guess what? Good news, just kidding, it's not good news, but everyone can participate in this evil, regardless of your position in society or your skin color. Here's the thing, folks, about sin. Sin is an equal opportunity employer. And now that the second point's been made, let's get to the Bible. How does reading your Bible help us to view and treat other people who are not like us better? How does the Bible help with racism? Well, it helps in two ways. There's the direct way and the indirect way. The direct way is easy. God commands you and me not to be racist. Hey friends, don't be racist. He commands us to love one another, and racism is not loving. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 verses 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are one with other Christians. And those old divisions, the way that we fight, the way that we view people, they don't matter. Ultimately, the Bible deals with racism directly by saying not to be racist. You think about uh, Jews and Samaritans, uh, Jews and Gentiles, all those different divisions in the Bible. Uh, we are supposed to love other people regardless of who they are and to bring the gospel to the whole world. If you share the gospel with someone, you want them to be saved and to spend eternity with you. Like, honestly, if I want to spend forever with you, 
I can't hate you too bad, right? Because if I hated you, I would not want you to go to heaven. If you want a person to be with you, you value them. You desire, according to Paul, under Jesus Christ to be one. So that's the direct way. It's the easy way that reading your Bible helps. Uh, But how does the Bible indirectly help with racism? Now, this point is a little bit deeper, so stay with me for a moment. Now, if you go to read your Bible, you'll realize something real quick. The cultures in the Bible have some similarities to our own, but generally those people and the times and the cultures are wildly different than uh, today, 2021, in America. In the New Testament, the Corinthians were asking about food offered to idols, whether or not to, to eat it. And while the Ephesians had to resist temple prostitution, in the Old Testament, the Jews stoned adulterers and had judges rule them for a time. The Egyptians still had the Pharaoh you read about in Exodus, and there were rulers with the name Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Ooh, like that's different. Like I don't know how many people named today are named Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Truly weird and wild times. When we go to read the Bible, we care about these different people. We are emotionally invested in Esther. We weep with Jeremiah. We cry with Paul over the Corinthians. We shake our heads with Jesus when he talks to the Pharisees and we're like, why can't y'all get this? In order to be a good, strong Christian, We must read our Bibles. And in order to read our Bibles well, we have to put ourselves in a time and a place and among people that are nothing like our own. We learn to love strangers and care about situations that have nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with our group. Nothing to do with our political thoughts. And if we take this same wisdom and practice to our world today, the same skills and maturity we get from reading the Bible to uh, the world we live in, that means learning about and loving the homeless, the incarcerated, the white person, the black person, the white supremacist and the black supremacist, the drug addict, the Nazi, the illegal alien, and the rich person. You have to love them all. They're not like you. They don't think like you. They don't believe the same things like you do. Just like what happens when we read the Bible. Reading the Bible means caring about the people outside of our in-group. We love people like David or Rahab who don't look like us, talk like us, or think like us. We rejoice with Paul as he writes to churches and tells them how proud he is of them. We weep with Jesus over Lazarus. We, we, We can relate. This is one way we can relate. We relate with people who lose family members and close friends. We stand Stand in awe and wonder at the scenes in Revelation as we understand, I mean, if we're being fully honest, very little of what is happening and what it all means. When we read our Bible, the geography is unique and the history is fascinating. The sociological and psychological observations you make are mind-blowing. The ethical questions about morality, salvation, and judgment will keep you up at night. Reading the Bible stirs the heart and stretches the mind. God loves all of us, 
and we're supposed to love everyone else, I think reading the Bible is a great start. So those are just some of my thoughts on the issue. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Uh, Let me know. And I would really appreciate on hearing your thoughts. And uh, we're going to move on to our devotional. Our devotional today comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'm going to read and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. So starting in verse 11, chapter 2. Remember, therefore, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, meaning the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. So what are some things, what are some observations we can see here? I think one thing to really notice is God's universal plan. From the beginning, he wasn't going to keep salvation to himself or just to the Jews. He wanted to spread it to the whole world. And in the New Testament, you know, the uncircumcised kind of was like a stand-in word for the Gentiles. And the circumcision meant the Jews, the, the Israelites. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ. So salvation was of the Jews, and the Gentiles were kind of outside looking in. But through Christ Jesus, uh, you who were once far away, this is verse 13, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God's salvation plan is for all people of all nations. And then the second point we can talk about today is kind of going off what we were talking about earlier. The gospel is our only hope of racial reconciliation. Any other way of solving race problems will not work. They'll fail. You will be petty and jealous. You're going to be suspicious of outside groups. You're going to put your own, the people who look like you and your family, your friends, above those people. Because you're like, I'm going to look out 
out for myself. Think about the animal kingdom. You look out for your own tribe, your own group, your own family, your own clan. That's how humans are as well. But with the gospel, all those things fade away. We love God. God loves everyone, and we're called to love those people, to spread the gospel, to give them Jesus to where I see you, and you're not a white person or a black person, ultimately. Like, I think those differences are important in some ways to you acknowledge culture and ethnical differences. I, I get that. But ultimately, in terms of God's universal love for everyone, those things don't matter in terms of salvation and our souls. And I think the gospel is the only thing that, that can help us in this area at the deepest level. And then finally, everything points to Jesus. Friends, is Christ Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Is Christ Jesus the thing that holds all of it together? Because if it's anything else, it'll fail you. If a building's being built on a weak foundation, it will fall. So put your faith and hope in Jesus, not just for salvation, but for your continued life until we see him in the end. And it's going to be beautiful, but it'll be even more beautiful if this whole time we've been living for him and he is our firm foundation. So those are just a few thoughts I get from uh, reading this, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it gives you something to think about, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll sign off. Father, Lord, our, our country's hurting in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of fear, a lot of anger. Uh, there's a lot of racial problems going on. We know that in you alone is our hope. We, uh, we praise you, we glorify you, we ask for your protection, your wisdom, and your guidance, Father. And as I often say, we're thankful for the gospel. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all right, folks, that's all for today. I, I hope this, you know, had some good things for you to think about. And let me know what you think. Now that, again, we're up on social media, uh, let me know. Just uh, leave a comment or reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you. But anyways, that's all for today. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.